Yeah, I hope you know that that uh, ministry exists here in our community. We're grateful to have them, grateful to be a part of it. Jane and her team do an incredible job uh, dealing with some of the, the tough issues in our world. And so it's an honor to get to support them and care for them. A couple weeks ago, we did Vision Sunday, and we talked about some of the things that are going on, some of the things that are coming up. One of the things I mentioned to you is starting February the 1st, so not this Monday, but the next, we're going to start uh, reading the Bible through together as a church. So in one year, we'll completely read through Genesis to Revelation. And so we're going to do that. We'll have, uh, if you don't have the Version app on your whatever, uh, I encourage you to download that. We're going to use one of their Bible study plans. Uh, we'll also have it available on our app and other ways that you can get it other than the version app, but it's going to be kind of cool that we're going through the same verses together as a church, and by the end of the year, we'll have read the Bible through completely. I don't know if you've ever done that before, uh, but it's a really cool experience. Excuse me, I need to take a drink of water. As far as you know. All right. Um, you know why you never take one Baptist fishing? because he'll drink all your beer. But if you take two Baptists, Baptists don't drink in front of each other, so you'll be safe. <laughs> You've heard it said, wherever you find four Baptists, you'll always find a fifth. <laughs> oh, come on, you've heard these before, right? Yeah, I, you know, I, there may be some I haven't heard, but all the Baptist drinking jokes and dancing jokes and playing card jokes. I mean, I just heard so many of them throughout the years, right? So today, let's, let's just settle this thing once and for all and move on to bigger things. What do you think, right? So last week, I posed the question, uh, is it okay for Christians to drink alcohol? Is it a sin for Christians to drink alcohol? Searching through Scripture, I cannot find one verse that says it is sin to drink alcohol. Now, I realize the context of the Bible is different, different culture, different context. Alcohol was a normal part of their culture. So, okay, reading that, what does that how does that apply to us today? What, what does that mean? Well, let's talk about that for a minute in our context. If you're under the age of 21 in America, not so in other countries, but in America, and you drink alcohol, you've committed a crime, right? So breaking the law is a sin under the age of 21. If you're a part of an organization or institution uh, that says our employees will not consume alcohol, and there's a list of things, and you sign that agreement, and yet you drink alcohol, you basically are a liar, and you've broken what you've committed to do. So that's a sin. If you drink alcohol to the point that you get wasted, that you get drunk, the Bible is very clear that is sin. Not a verse in the Bible says drinking alcohol is a sin. Tons of verses say getting drunk, letting alcohol control you is sinful and destructive and dangerous, right? So we can agree that although there's not this passage that we look for that forbids it, it, it can be very dangerous. So it, it is an issue that we need to address and need to talk about. And actually, Paul does that in the passage that we're looking at today. He started a little bit with it last week. Um, 
So there, there are certain things that we know that if I do this, then that's sin. If you drink and drive, right, that's against the law and just stupid. So that's sinful and very dangerous. Ephesians 5.18, this is a verse that we normally go to when we talk about alcohol. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So the Bible doesn't say don't drink wine, but it warns against excess. You know, it does the same with food. <laughs> but we don't talk about that one. <laughs> you can talk about wine, but don't you dare go to food. That's too far, right? We don't talk about gluttony. We don't talk about that sin. We don't talk about the Bible says we're supposed to take care of these temples. We're supposed to eat right and eat healthy. We don't, let's not go there as we eat our Snickers, right? So, but the Bible does address this issue with alcohol. So say you have wine with dinner, you have a cocktail before dinner, you have a cold beer on a hot day. It's okay. If you do that to excess, if you do that to cope, if you do that just to get through, if you do that to anesthetize yourself so you don't have to deal with the problems of the world, now we have issues. Now we have struggles. If you have a problem with alcohol and it is controlling your life to the point that you are getting drunk, you are committing sin. And let me tell you something. If that is your case today, we are not going to judge you. We want to help you. I think churches do a poor job. We tell everybody, come just like you are. We'll love on you. Oh, but we didn't know you did this, this, and this, right? And then we shut you down. And so, so many people hide this stuff. They're, they're closet drinkers or they're closet alcoholics. And so they hide because they're afraid I'm going to be judged by my own peers at church. I can't speak for everyone. I can speak for me and our staff. We're not going to judge you. We're going to get you help. Please let us help you. I think that's part of the purpose behind Paul's writings here, showing us down to the nitty-gritty what does it mean to really love one another? What does it mean to really be unified in the faith? Romans 13, 13, we looked at that a few weeks ago. Paul writes, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness. Okay, so according to my understanding of Scripture, it is okay to drink alcohol. But, it's always a but, right? <laughs> Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Or definitely doesn't mean you should always do something. And this is where I think this would be the, the slogan for Paul's writing of this letter. These things are permitted that he discusses, that we're talking about. These are the non-essentials. They're not dealing with salvation. They're not sin. You can do these, but just because you can doesn't mean you always should. And that's where he takes us this morning. Proverbs 20, verse 1, says, Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. And we want to be wise. Now, I've had friends who are alcoholics. I had a member of one of my churches that he would come to Wednesday night drunk. He hid it so well, nobody, his wife didn't even know. He'd always come with a, a thermos of water, as we thought. He was trying to get healthy, but it was vodka. So he hit it really well until it finally all caught up to him. I had an uncle who was an alcoholic who drank so much his skin was gray. I mean, he was actually drinking himself to death, and then he committed suicide. 
I've seen the dark side of this. There is a dark side to this. There is a line that once it's crossed, it's hard to come back. It is an addictive thing. It is a dangerous, destructive thing. But let's not use this to judge and to divide. Paul's ultimate focus here in this passage is unity. So passage we looked at last week, he reiterates that this week. If you think it's wrong, don't do it. Even though other believers are okay with it, but if you're convinced this is not right to do, then don't do that. Or, as he'll point out today, if what you're doing, eating meat, drinking wine, not celebrating certain days, if that causes a brother or sister to stumble, to be confused, maybe even leads them into sin, then don't do it. Out of love for that person, don't do that in their presence. Don't do that to lead them astray because they're convinced of this way. Well, that's ridiculous. Why would they still think that? I mean, this is the 21st century. Paul's saying this kind of stuff that ultimately doesn't affect our salvation. It's not sin, but can become sin when it becomes divisive. Look at chapter 14 of Romans, verse 13. Let's start there. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Did you hear that? Let us stop passing judgment. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If a brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. Last week we talked about that legalism, right? Following God is a bunch of rules and regulations, a bunch of do's and don'ts. That's legalism. That's sin. That's wrong. In order to earn God's favor, you have to do this, 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 and not do this, this, this. All the way to license that, well, I'm forgiven. It doesn't matter what I do. My spirit is going to heaven, so it doesn't matter what I do in the physical body. Both of those are extreme. Both of those are sin. Both of those are wrong. And Paul divided the church into two categories, the weak and the strong. The strong were those who understood Christian freedom, what it means to live in freedom. Again, not, in, not to do with our salvation, but now that I am a person of faith, what does that allow me to do? And living accordingly to the weak who felt like, no, it's all still about the rules and regulations. Oh, you're a Christian? You shouldn't do that. And so division is caused and judgment is caused. So now he gets to the point, he says, don't be a stumbling block. All right, let's, let's talk about freedom and what you're allowed to do in Christ. We know what sin is. That's very explicit. So we're not crossing the line of sin, but what are these things we're allowed to do? Well, first of all, you can do them, but don't let them be a stumbling block to others around you. They may be weaker in their understanding. The statement, Christian liberty gives the strong believer on one hand the right to use those things considered sinful by the weak, but on the other hand imposes the strong to abstain from those things under certain conditions. As Paul says, if it's going to lead your brother or sister 
to be confused, to stray, or to sin, then it's not worth doing it in that situation. Because the weaker believer may not fully understand what freedom in Christ means. We are free in Christ, amen? And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So we're free from the power of sin, but how does that impact my life? Being a person of faith, what am I allowed to do? What is considered sin? What is considered freedom? And this is what Paul is addressing. And he goes back to the idea, although you have a right to do this, he's not arguing that point, but in doing so, ask the question, in what I'm doing right now, is that going to cause a weaker brother or sister to stumble? If they see me doing this, or if I'm out promoting this, or if I'm trying to convince them to do this, it's okay, is that going to cause them to stumble? That's the question we should be asking. So he gives the strong responsibility over the weak. Those who understand Christian freedom, what it means to live in freedom, still have a responsibility to help the weak. Not to instruct them, not to convince them, but to watch out for them. So I need to make sure I'm not going to do anything around you that you see me doing, that I'm promoting, that's going to cause you to wait. Okay, wait a minute. To doubt my salvation, to doubt who I am, to doubt my love for Jesus cause you to stumble. He's calling the stronger to a higher standard. Now, notice what he's not saying. He's not telling the weak to change their minds. Again, the three issues Paul dealing with, eating meat, drinking wine, and celebrating religious holidays. The weak mainly were the Jewish converts coming out of the law and all these observances to the Gentiles who had no religious background. He says, but even with these two extremes, we can be unified. But he's not telling the weak to change their mind, telling them to stick to their conviction. He doesn't scold them for being weak. He's not, this is not derogatory. He's just stating the fact of where they are in their faith and their understanding. His concern is to make sure that those who are weaker in the faith are not excluded from the congregation. Both parties were guilty of judging and condemning the other because they didn't do or they did do things. He said, I want to make sure that the weaker brother or sister are not outcasts or they feel isolated or they feel like nobody cares or wants them there. This is a bigger issue, that weakness is not an excuse to exclude people. Because when you and I in church create an environment where not everyone feels welcome, then we are not being loving. And our goal at First Burleson is to pursue Christ and love people, and they go hand in hand. If we're really pursuing Christ, then one of the results is we're going to love people, truly love people. God kind of love for people, for one another. But let's face it, there are all kinds of things in the church world that can cause division and splits and hostility. And that's not a loving environment. This is still Paul's desire for a holy, unified church. That's God's desire for us. That should be our desire for our church. Paul is saying, look, Jesus died for the weak believers just like he died for you. 
So don't get angry if you have to eat a salad in front of them. <laughs> because you're eating meat offends them. I mean, is it really that big of a deal for you to eat a salad? I mean, let's face it, some of us could use a salad, right? Don't get angry because you have to eat a salad. Now, disclaimer, this statement does not include broccoli. Broccoli is the devil's weed. So that's, <laughs> and I'm, I'm in the strong camp, so don't try to convince me otherwise. And don't send me broccoli because I'm not going to eat it. Look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Say that. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let's focus on this. Let's focus on righteousness. Let's focus on joy. Let's focus on joy in the Holy Spirit. This <laughs> should matter to us. It's amazing how easily we get caught up in things that don't really matter in the scheme of things. And we're good at it. He says, let's value the kingdom. Let's value the kingdom and what the kingdom values. Let's let that be our priorities. What is that? Unity. Jesus expects unity among his children. In John 17, verse 20, Jesus prayed this, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Now, this is a supernatural unity that we're able to accomplish because the Holy Spirit that lives in each one of us is Christ followers. So this is unity that cannot be broken. Unity that comes from the Spirit, not by our efforts, but it's possible in its desire. So this idea of kingdom living, it means I'm going to move away from these external legalistic practices. Well, Christianity is all about a bunch of do's and don'ts. By doing that, I'm going to reclaim the internal work of the Spirit. I'm truly going to follow the Holy Spirit of God who lives within me. I'm going to listen and I'm going to obey. It's not about following a bunch of rules. Now, rules, boundaries, all that matters. But sometimes we get stuck in that, and we, we never understand what it means to live in the Spirit. That's legalism. And legalism kills, or at least it stifles. So here's a question I think we all need to ask in regards to these issues and others. Am I more interested in being right or being loving? Am I more interested in being right than I am in being loving? And that's the attitude that leads to legalism, which leads to division. If I want you to know how right I am more than I want you to know how much I love you, that's on me. That's my bad. That's a problem. which also leads us to be very judgy. <laughs> and judging has the power to create disunity within the body of Christ. And that's where Paul's hitting. Look, you guys, both of you are guilty. Both parties are guilty of judging one another and condemning one another. 
So what you're actually doing, you're actually hurting the whole body of Christ. In your effort to show how right you are, you're destroying people's lives. You're destroying unity. You're destroying the church. Now he's talking about religious practices. When you judge someone's religious practices, you do damage to the body and to the unity of the body. Last week I mentioned it's, we have different styles of worship. We have a traditional worship that meets at 9.30 down in Worship West. We have the modern worship here at 9.30 and at 11. We have a Spanish service down at 11 in Worship West. So I'm not really talking about the Spanish because that's more language, culture driven, but between traditional and modern. Traditional piano, choir, organ, it's a great service. It's an awesome service. As modern service is an awesome service, different and different in style. So it would be wrong for someone who prefers going to the modern service to talk bad about those at the traditional service. Oh, I could never worship. That's the blue hair service. I could, I could never worship down there. I, I, I can't, I can't, I don't even understand those old hymns. I could never worship God in that room or in that context or in that service. As much as it would be terrible for someone down there to say, well, I could never worship down in the box. I could never worship, that's just a rock concert. I could, I could never worship God in that room and then with that music and that people. Those statements are made by weak believers who don't understand what worship is really all about. Because if you understand who God is and you understand worship, you should be able to worship God anywhere, even in the midst of the storm, because it's not about you. It's not about me. But you can see how even though we set this up in a way to help people connect to God in a way that's familiar to them, it can be divisive. So I better not ever hear someone say something derogatory about the other worship style. In fact, I would challenge you to try it out. You'd be amazed. And I'll find out if you do. <laughs> He's talking about community here, common unity. And the, the idea here is that my love and desire to follow Jesus actually grows deeper when I'm in a loving faith community. This is one of the reasons church is so important. This is one of the reasons I long for the day we can all be back at church. And thank you for joining us online if you're online, and, and that's a big part of what we do right now because of the situation. But I long for the day we can be back together because we need to be back together. Because actually, if you try to do this Christian life on your own, you, you'll, your growth will be stunted if you're not involved in a loving community. Studies show that people mature and, and follow Christ more successfully, how to define that word, but stronger, more committed when they're in a loving community, a loving faith community. It's when you pull away from that that you begin to stunt your spiritual growth. People tell me all the time, oh, I don't go to church, I do church on my own. No, you don't. <laughs> You can't do church by yourself. It's not designed that way. We need to be in a loving community, which means we have to be a loving community. Say that. Come on now, listen. We have to be that kind of place that when I walk in, people's face light up because I'm there. They're actually happy to see me. They may not like what, not like what I'm wearing, but they're happy to see me. If we have that kind of environment, 
It's actually going to impact our spiritual growth. And that's the kind of church we have to be. Because low joy, isolation, a lack of a loving community, poor identity, and unhealed trauma can actually hinder our spiritual growth as disciples of Jesus. So on the one hand, we have spiritual disciplines, right? And we follow those disciplines. We read the word, we pray, we meditate, we memorize. Those are all important. But if we don't do those in a loving community, we will not experience full Christian spiritual maturity. They are meant to go hand in hand. God designed it that way. The other issue is unrestricted freedom. Okay, I'm free in Christ, I'm forgiven, so I'm going to do whatever I want. That leads to idolatry. Whenever you start putting your own individual freedom above the unity of the entire church, then you are in committing idolatry. You are worshiping your right to the disregard of everyone else. We are here to encourage one another. We are here to be one in the faith, which may mean at times I have to set aside my freedom, what I'm allowed to do in my freedom, in order that you are not offended by it. And when I do that, I demonstrate to you how much I really love you. So it's not about what I want. And this unity of the body of Christ should be a concern for all of us. Look at verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Again, stick to your convictions. Actually, what he's saying, hey, however you feel about these issues, just keep it between you and God. If you're strong in the faith and you're experiencing Christian freedom and you fully understand, don't try to convince the weaker brother or sister to do it your way. God will take care of that. It's not your job. If you're weak in the faith, don't start condemning your strong brother and sister because they're doing things you don't think are right. Again, we're not talking sin here. Please make that clear. But in these non-essentials, just keep that between you and God. All right? How you feel about it? Don't campaign about it. Just this is between you and God. The goal, though, should be peace and mutual edification. Edification, edifice, the word edifice, to build, right? Our goal should be peace. As long as it depends upon me, live at peace with everyone and to build you up. Encourage one another as long as it is today. My job is to encourage you and build you up. And how cool is it when everyone does their job? <laughs> then everyone feels encouraged and built up. This is Paul's desire. It's ridiculous to split a church over food and wine. It's ridiculous to do damage to what God has done 
and a local body of believers over these non-essential issues. Promote unity. All food is clean, but don't use it to harm another believer. So here's the challenge. In our heart and mind, I would love for all of us today to accept the challenge that I'm going to look at my life and I'm going to see, and I'm going to be honest, is there anything that I'm saying or doing that causes disunity at First Baptist Burleson? Any of my actions or my behavior that causes disunity? Am I doing anything that's going to affect and cause division within my church, God's church, but the church I attend? Because it is all our responsibility. If the Holy Spirit convicts you of something you're saying, posting, tweeting, doing, promoting, that is causing division among believers here in our church, then stop it right now, okay? And don't look at anybody else. Don't point out what somebody else is doing. This is a question for you and for me as well. Let's make it our goal to support, promote, and advance unity in the body of Christ at First Baptist Burleson Let's let our faces light up when we see each other so everyone wants to be here. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, thank you that you are one. And you cause us to be one. We are very different people. We come from different walks of life, different backgrounds different worldviews, different understanding, different experience. We are so different and diverse, yet we are one in you. But Father, you know, and we've all seen it too many times, it just takes one person or a handful of people to totally ruin a church, to cause division, to cause heartache, to create an environment where not everyone feels welcome. God, if that exists here, would you destroy it right now? Would you remove any kind of anger, division, hostility that exists here in your church at First Burleson? Holy Spirit, would you challenge all of us to do our part to promote unity, to promote love and forgiveness and oneness May we be excited to be a family. And may we guard against anything that would cause division. Holy Spirit, if if we're aware of a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling with alcohol, struggling with drugs, any kind of issue that is destroying them, give us the confidence and courage to go in love to that person not judgment and condemnation, but love and and snatch them back. Do what we can to restore that person. 
Let us be about that, about unifying and restoring, not about division and getting our own way. Because your word tells us that when we love each other to that degree, not only does it glorify Christ, but it points the world to you. That the world will know that we are Jesus freaks because of the way we love each other. That's so uncommon in this world. And the world needs love. Not only a great song, a great truth. In Jesus' name, amen.